0: Jay Chandra Sekar, Jay Chandra Sekar, I hope I'm not messing up his name because I don't want to mess up, I don't want people to mess up my name. What was really important about sitting down with Jay ahead of uh, the release of Super Troopers 2 is what he has done in his career from Super Troopers 1 to Super Troopers 2 which opens on April 20th and he talked about how uh, marijuana actually helps him write better, how focus helps him write better and the tips that he can apply to being a better writer, a better director, and if you were starting out in this business, how you can succeed. Uh, It's a very in-depth conversation with a very insightful comedian, writer, director. This chaotic creative has inspired me, hopefully it'll inspire you. This is Jay Chandra Saikar. so many places to start, but let's um, actually just jump right into it and talk about how you got started in this, in high school and in college, performing arts. How did you first get involved with the kind of Entertainment, performing arts world.
1: Well, my sister, um, you know, I, I just, I, we were going to the same high school, and she was a uh, uh, in the chorus in a musical. <laughs> Which show? Um, it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was one of those really. Uh, I, I can't even remember the name of it. I can't remember the name of it. It, <laughs> it was called. I think it was. It wasn't even a musical. It was called The Crucible.
0: Oh, right. It and was she the chorus. She of it? was
1: in like the background. Okay. Whatever. She was an extra. Extra. Okay and i was having a hard freshman year because i had i basically narked on my on my roommate in in boarding school and got him kicked out and so i had this like because you just wanted to have the room to yourself
0: kind of okay man i did that shady ploy play in uh, university too so kind
1: of i mean i was you know and then i discovered marijuana and then everything kind of changed but anyway (laughs) Um, we you know, need what, to unpack what, that. What can I okay. say? Yeah. But uh, uh, so I was having a little bit of a hard time because it, people kind of knew, yeah. and she's like, you know, you should j- go go up for a play. Yeah, it's fun. So I auditioned for this uh, play, and I thought maybe I'll get in, in the in the chorus or whatever, and I I didn't like they can't, everybody I just wasn't cast in the chorus in a high school. I wasn't even in the chorus. So right? rejected so early. Okay. I was pissed, and I'm like. <laughs> I didn't even want to do this dumb play, but I'm going to do the next one. I'm going to I'm gonna show you. I can be in the damn chorus. Yeah. And so I got in this play uh, musical called Brigadoon. <laughs> and I, I pay, played this. Oh, did you play Brigadoon? I was a Scottish clansman. Oh, of course. And I had a, a kilt. <laughs> and I I, I basically uh, were chasing a killer in the play. Yeah. And I, I come down to the river and I'm like, I'll go down to the creek. And by God, if I see him, I'll throw him in it. That was my first- Indian accent, Scottish guy? What, that wasn't Scottish? No. <laughs> was fucking I even down to I... Okay, yeah, yeah. That was my first line in show business. Yeah. And uh, it took off from there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I became like a really, I became like one of the main actors in high school. Okay. Based and, on that performance. And also one of the main, you know, grass and yeah. cocaine users. And, uh, in high school? In high school. And <laughs> and then I ran into this guy I narked on yeah. my junior year and you know he was from Japan and he spoke very little English right and the truth was I was a, I was a jerk you right. know like I, I was supposedly anti-pot. I was I'd never tried it yeah. and I was you know supposedly afraid of getting kicked out because it was my roommate I thought well maybe they'll think we're both doing it and I, and I you know, and I ran into him on a train, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's gonna he's gonna want to fight. And he had been sent to military school. After, got after he got kicked out of the school. And, and, so, and he came up to me, and he's like, I am so sorry. And I was like, no, no, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And he goes, and then he gets down on his knees and touches my feet as a show of respect. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I smoke and this, and he goes, no, no, and he just still hadn't learned enough English to understand that I had totally turned into somebody completely different. Are you allowed to say all this stuff on the show? Of course, yes. And now we have
0: to deep dive into everything you just said because now we have to talk about (laughs) Brown Brigadoon and we got to talk about uh, (laughs) your drug use. So um, (laughs) there's two directions we can go in (laughs) and I'm just wondering which one do we go in first. so, but since you've last talked about the drug use, how does that influence? Like, do you find that that's a, like a creative stimulant? Does that help you do your work better?
1: Yeah, I how think so? that I think that. Uh, I mean, you know, look, if you smoke uh, with the right group of people, mm. it can unlock uh, another way of looking at life. Like, there's you know, it's this altered perspective, and and so when you're when when. You know, in Broken Lizard, we we were smoking together before we were ever even a comedy group. Mm. So we were just friends, you know, getting high and cracking jokes and whatever. And then we became, I started the comedy group, and then we started doing that to try to generate ideas because we knew that it was a great way to generate laughs. And so the, the trick is to take those, like, wild flights of fancy that you go on when you've smoked a little with your pals and figure out a way to put it into a film in an organic way, because it, it was almost like a situation where we were, you know, we knew that a certain gag was funny, like for example the meow gag, right? Mm. That came. Uh, uh, we were in Burbank, California. We were five guys in a motel room, and we've been smoking all night, and at you know by four four in the morning, you know I misheard somebody. I, th- I have a bad left ear. And uh, I misheard uh, the guy. I thought he said, he said, now. I said, did you say meow? And then we riffed on that for an hour and a half till about 530 in the morning. And somebody wrote now equals meow on a piece of paper. And then three weeks later, we were in a meeting, writing meeting, trying to write Super Troopers 1. And someone's like, remember that gag we did where now equals meow? And then we riffed another 45 minutes on that. We're like, okay, so how do we put that into a film? And so it's you just sort of like, you know, these, these, marijuana doesn't allow you to get my job, right? It's like, (laughs) it, 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 what it does though, is like, you know, we, you can generate a ton of jokes and ideas on it, and then you can, you need to be sober to write the structure of a film. Mm -hmm. Like it's organized into three acts. You, You can't do that if your brain isn't fully engaged and organized, you need to really focus and like structure a film, and then you put in these jokes that you wrote, maybe a little bit high that way. I mean, most of the most of the writing is done sober, right? Most of it. But you know, when we're really trying to break something or generate a brand new idea, we'll you know we'll roll one up and uh, and and attack the problem. Do you pro, uh, do you use that process when you're writing uh, your stand-up, or is
0: uh, when you're writing? Yeah, books? I mean, it's,
1: it's all yes. I mean, definitely when I'm writing stand-up, I. I will, you know, it's not that I get high to write stand-up, it's that I get high and then I write stand-up, you know, it's like, I'm smoking joint, it occurs to me, oh, this idea, and then you kind of write it down, write it down, write it down, write it down, and then you go back to whatever you were doing. Like, I write a lot of jokes in bathrooms, you know, because I don't want to, I don't want people to see me writing down the jokes that we're talking about. So like you're like at dinner and you're like I have an idea and then you run to the bathroom and like write it down. Yeah, I'm like, if I have to, I'll take a pen out and I'll scribble on the napkin. But if yeah. it's like a nice dinner with cloth napkins, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so then I'll go to the bathroom and I'll just crank it out onto my little note and then. Uh... So you you put it on your phone. Yeah. And then do you have a system for organizing this stuff? Do you use like Evernote or like how do you go back it's like and organize these later? Sticky notes on the phone. They're just like these yellow things and yeah. I and I I write you know, novel, uh, stand-up. Uh, I'm making a movie called American Indian next, and, uh, you know, whatever. Like, there's a TV show, I'm, I'm, and I just sort of stick the jokes into whatever category they, they fit in. And then later, when I'm, like, writing a draft of it, I'll go back in and I'll, I'll look, oh, yeah, or, you know, oh, yeah, that joke, oh, yeah, that joke, and I'll try to figure out if they can fit. And if they don't fit, then I'm like, okay, I'll move this joke over here, And then, you know, when I'm writing that film, I'll be like, oh yeah, that was the joke from the TV show, but I think I can get it in there. How often do you sit down to do that organizational process? If you're
0: getting these ideas all the time from when you're out and about and when whatever you're doing, living your life, do you sit down like once a week, once a day, and be like, I will now organize my ideas and place them
1: places and see where that takes me? You can only focus, you know, your brain is focused on a creative endeavor you know, it's, it's hard to write two things or three things at once, mm-hmm. right? You have to sort of commit yourself to that one thing while you're on it. So it's, you know, I do write multiple things at, at the same time, but, like, right now, I, I'm, I'm writing, I'm trying to get a new draft out of this, this film, American Indian. So I'm like, until I finish that new draft, that's all I'm writing and then I'll send it off to the people who need to read it and then I'll move on to the television show and that's all I'm, you know, and so you got to kind of like focus and, you know, and while you're working on that you make sure you look at all the ideas you scribbled down and you get them all in and then you send it off and then, you know, you get some notes and you come back and, you know, you just have to sort of focus. But that's on your, your, what are your tips for focusing? Look, I mean, the smartest thing you can possibly do is turn your phone off and Turn the uh, wireless off on your computer. Hmm. Who can do that though? I'm addicted. It's hard. I mean, I need to check Huffington Post 75 times a day. Do you? Well, we should introduce you to the Daily Hive, and you can do that too. But <laughs> I don't need another one. <laughs> but
0: I will now. Okay. Yeah, and so that's simple as that: just turning off the wireless, turning off your phone. Well,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, the the problem with focus is is outside interference. Yeah. I mean, I get 300 emails a day. I mean, because we're promoting a movie, so there's like, they're just coming in like crazy, yeah. and you're like, I could do this all day. So then how do you shut off? Do
0: you go <laughs> at some point, you're like, okay, this is my time to do intake and you know get all of this stuff, and then do you like, at this certain time, I'm going to turn this off, I'm going to spend time with my family, I'm going to be with myself. What's that process like?
1: I, I don't know that I have it all figured out. I mean, ultimately, you know, people, people think they're complimenting me, and they're like, you're a great emailer. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because you respond right away. And I'm like, oh, you mean I'm a junkie? <laughs> you mean I'm like constantly checking this damn thing? <laughs> right. I mean, ultimately, you know, uh, he, he, there's, no, there's no way to make great work mm. if you're interrupted every 20 seconds. Yes. There's no way to be great. Yeah. And so the people who are, you know, that you see, like I saw Bill Burr last night, mm. wow, right? Bill Burr is turning his shit off and he's writing it down and he's focusing. You can tell. You can tell. I know. I, see, I can see it in, in him. Yeah. You know, that's the people who are, you're really seeing up there are the ones who are, who are turning it off. The ones who are like, yeah, 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 yeah. they're not, you know, they're not going to land in a big way. I love that focus
0: i have a huge problem with that um let's go back and talk about from brown bigger dune to american indian how do you feel right now um the whole diversity thing in hollywood in the entertainment industry uh is this do you think two questions on that how has that enhanced your career and do you think this is like a trend that's a flash in the pan or do you think it's like something has changed fundamentally that more voices will be heard
1: You know, I've always wanted to play in the big game, right? Okay. So... What does that mean to you? It means I don't want to make the movie that is like, oh, it's just for the Indians, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I want to make the movie that competes with the Jim Carrey movies or whatever. That's the movie I want to make. And at the end of the day, like, diversity is a great... Goal, because the country, this country and our country are, are diverse, right? And and you know it's it's important that, ultimately that you look up on the screen and it reflects what your what the audience is, so it's a good thing. But you got to deliver, right? Mm-hmm. And for a while, you know, m- movies about minorities were sort of like. They make uh, minorities have to be these, oh, these innocent angels, and oh, they're just coming here from Amer- to America, and they're trying to make it. It's all so earnest, mm. and you're like, that's not funny. That's not entertaining to me. That's like, okay, they're having a tough time fitting into this supposedly racist white world, and now they've made it. it that's not even true. I mean, it's not true. It's just not, you know, it doesn't feel real. Right. I mean, and, and think about the racism of it all. It's like. Talk to some Indians, talk to some older Indians, and you're gonna get some serious racism there, right? Yes. Or Chinese, or whatever, like, the way it's all portrayed is not the way it really is. Yeah. And I think that, I think that, you know, we have to be a little bit, um, uh, I think that the more honest you are, the more interesting it is for audiences. So in terms of diversity, it's great. It's great that people get more chances but they're going to have to deliver, and they're going to have to be flat out entertaining, or else they're just going to fail, just like you know, just like everybody else.
0: That's a bit um, uh, <laughs> macabre. Uh, cultural appropriation. What are your thoughts on that? Is that a bad thing? Because I think no. Like, I, for me, like remember that, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Coldplay did a video with uh, Beyonce. Yeah. And they went to India. And everyone's like, oh my god, why are they, like, these white people having so much fun in the slums and Beyonce's wearing a sari. And I'm like, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad to see that. I feel represented. I don't feel offended. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, we're trying to make interesting visual entertainment. That's what they're doing, right? They're trying to make music and interesting visual entertainment. And that's interesting. It's fun. It's fun to stick people into other environments and see what happens. It, this whole cultural appropriation—it's preposterous. Like we have a multicultural society, it is necessarily going to involve people crashing into each other and you know and trying different things. It's 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 uh, again the goal is great. The goal is like let's respect all cultures. Okay, fine. But I mean, this culture in Canada and America. I mean. This is a, this is a somewhat of a new thing, with all these, we're all together and we're all supposedly equal and this is like, it's a sort of uncharted territory in some way. I mean, I, but I really, I really don't think that we can be quite so sensitive. Because it makes, what it does is it drives the real conversation into the dark. You know, so when you're alone with your all brown friends, you're saying what you really think, right? Mm-hmm. Or the white people are really, well, we really don't like these people. Well, they're saying it privately. And that's not that's not how it should be. We can't be, you know, we should all be more like Australia, you know, where they just, they make fun of each other constantly, and it's a really funny, fun uh, culture. They're not quite so sensitive.
0: How does honesty play into good humor for you?
1: Well, I think that if you're, like, to me, uh, it, it's important to be either honest or funny. And I don't mean it that way. What I mean is like, if you're gonna be funny, yeah, great. But, you know, if you're just honest, that's also entertaining. Like, honesty is very entertaining. It's, it makes people, because you can't really call you on it. You know, because when, when you say something that's actually what people think and what's really true, people go, yeah, yeah I feel that way too. Mm-hmm. Right? They don't, they may get upset by the, by what you said, but it doesn't, they can't argue with the, the, the reality of it. I think, I just find it, I'm finding it very, uh, very entertaining. Like, I listen, you listen to Howard Stern, and the old Howard Stern was this, was really like, into like, you know, strippers and all this, you know, like, you know, he just went, went a little, a little bit more base, but the new one is this like really evolved, very honest uh, personality, and I I find it to be just spellbinding. Is that too much for some people, the honesty? I don't care, you know, like at the end of the day, you can't go wrong being honest, and if you're a funny person, it will be both honest and funny, like that should be the goal, you need to be entertaining, but if you're going to choose between one, be honest. How has um, your journals
0: served in your writing? How's that helped you? How did that help you with your book? Yeah. How do you use that?
1: I mean, I, you know, I kept a lot of journals as a young kid because they made us do it, and so you go back. In your and, boarding school. Yeah, you go and, and in grade school, and you go back and you read it, and you're like, when you read your own journal, you're like, God, I'm an egomaniac. <laughs> but I mean, it's a journal, right? right. So You're supposed to write about yeah. what you are feeling. Yeah, yeah. But it's... <clears throat> you're always writing in case somebody reads it anyway. Yes. Right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't really journal anymore. No. No. I, I just... I'll write ideas and jokes and concepts, and I just stick them in the folders, and then I just, you know, and then I just expound on them after. Yeah. But journaling, which I know is probably very... Good for your mind and 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 all that. I I don't uh, I don't really do much of it anymore. How do you know when the writing's done for um, Super Troopers Two? I
0: understand that you did thirty-five drafts. Yeah. Well, why did you not keep going to fifty drafts?
1: Or why did you keep going to thirty-five drafts? When is it like? Well, you write you write up until the point the cameras start rolling, oh. <laughs> and then you keep writing. Okay. You know, so you, like we we were hanging out with. Uh, you know, there are three Mounties, uh, in the, in this, Canadian Mounties in this movie played by the Canadian Will Sasso, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Labine, also Canadian, and then a guy from Chicago named Hayes MacArthur, and, um, you know, we were, we would shoot all day, and then at night, we would hang out outside the hotel and kind of, you know, roll a couple of joints and laugh, and these are, like, top-level comedians, and we got into this riff about, uh, you know, but basically... Danny Devito, right? It was like just somebody brought it up and we started rolling and riffing and rolling and riffing and we were we talked about it for an hour and then about a week later we met again outside that hotel and we it was from like midnight to 3 and we were just doing it again and we started going into the, another version of this this joke. Not at Danny Devito, but about something. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was this thing. And we talked about it for about two hours and we were laughing and da da da. And I was secretly just... Taking notes. Taking notes, yeah. right? And I'm just taking notes and taking... And I'm trying to think of all the big funny ideas around this thing. But it was like, I'm like, what the hell am I gonna do with this riff about Danny DeVito? And then one day on the way into work, I was, you know, my uh, assistant was driving the car and so I was. we were shooting the scene and I'm like, uh, the scene. Could be the spot for this Danny DeVito joke. And so i just kind of wrote, I just sat there and wrote and I wrote, I wrote two pages of this. It was like it was like a fr- it was like added on in the front of a scene that would eventually there was gonna be a fight at the end of it. But I thought, oh, we could stick it here. And so I walked in and I handed out the pages to all these Canadian Mounties and all the Broken Leather guys. I'm like, what do you think? You think we can do this? And they're like, When when were you writing down all these jokes? I'm like, oh, I was just sitting there doing that. And they're like, okay and then they're like yeah but this should be this and and we had like eight guys in on this so if this if this line were moved up here and i'm like okay and then put hand it out again we're like close but i think that we could i could do this you know and we kind of and we just we wrote four or five drafts as we were shooting this other scene and then at lunch and everyone's like yeah good let's do it and then we did it and it's it's my favorite scene in the movie that sounds entirely stressful well you just, what it, what, <laughs> what it's a description of is being open. Yes. Right? You're open. I'm not a religious man, right? <laughs> okay. But the jokes come from somewhere. Yeah. Right? Like, the music comes from somewhere. Where does it's it come like Michael from? Michael Jackson said that. Right? He's like God. It's like God speaking to Who me. Who knows where it's coming from? Yeah. And, but when it comes, you got to be able to listen, write it down, and then stick it in a movie. Hmm. I mean, that's what I do, right? That's, and so we, you know... I knew in my gut, because we were all laughing, it, it was obviously a funny joke, mm. but could we make it funny for the, for the crowd that wasn't there that night? Yeah. That's the trick.
0: When you know, you know, let's go back 17 years to uh, the original Super Troopers, or even before that, when you first, you guys, Broken Lizard, yeah. first came up with the idea. How did you know that you had to direct it, you had to be in it, despite people who are like, we need a name star, we need this, we need that. How do you stick to your guns when you're like, I want to get this made, but people are like, well, we're not going to make it if you don't, you know, put Ben Affleck in it or whatever they were saying back then. Uh, how-
1: Do you know that that's exactly what they said? Yes. Yeah. So we we were, you know, it was my friends and I, and we we're going around town trying to get someone to finance the movie and we kept almost happening, almost happening, you know. And this financer said, I'll give you $2 million or 2 or $3 million, but you got to put Ben Affleck in the role of Thorny. And I'm like... That's uh, that's my role, and he goes, not in this movie, kid. No. And I was like, all right. I mean, you obviously don't get that we're like a comedy group, and that you know we're doing it ourselves. And we, you know, we said no, we're not going. Obviously, we're not going to do it. I mean, you know, you. The, there's a there's a pure there's an artistic purity, right? When you see something, that you know, you ever see Napoleon Dynamite? Yes. It's pure. It's an artistically pure film, because these guys just raised the money and they made that movie. You know, I mean, I would say the same for our film, Super Troopers. It's exactly the movie we wanted to make, Mm. and with total strangers. You've never seen us before in your life. And, you know, when 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 you achieve that kind of purity, the audience can smell it, and they can feel it, and it feels honest, you know? Ben Affleck probably would've been great as Thorny, sure, but he just wasn't in the group. But what do you do when someone's like giving you an
0: opportunity, when you really wanna get a film made, and they're like, look kid, you don't know this business, you're arrogant, you don't know what you're talking about, I've been around, and I got money. How do you go, oh, I
1: don't know? Anybody who thinks that they can take their friends, write a script, make a movie, and get it in the theaters is insane. Right. I yeah. mean, that's an insane proposition. Mm-hmm. So the notion that uh, we would say to someone with money, "Screw you! We're going to go find. We're going to make money somewhere else." It's just more insanity, right? I mean, to make that insane move is just added on top of the rest of the crazy, Im- improbable <laughs> scenarios that we were we were involved in. I mean, we're making this damn movie. That's the deal. We're making it. You want to be in or out? And the guy's are like, I'm out. I'm like, all right, well, too bad for you. We're making it anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's the attitude you got to have. You want to make people worried that if I don't make it, someone else is going to make it. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. That's what you want. Show business is, everything in show business is also show business. Like when we're trying to get money, we're, fucking, we're conning people. We're like, eh, okay, if you don't, you're gonna, we're going to make a lot of money on this thing. And what do we know? How do we know we're going to make a lot of money? That's interesting, you're putting on a show to put on the That's actual right. show. you're putting on a show to put on a show. The whole thing is show business. Right. When an actor throws a tantrum on, on set, it's show business. Right. They're going back to their trailer, I'll, I'll walk in there, they are like, how's you going, They're just fucking, they're just doing their thing. Is that what happened with the Chevy Chase incident? Incident? No, no, Chevy Chase, uh, those tantrums were real. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, look—he went into rehab. Oh, okay. I'm not gonna trash him. Yeah, uh, he was one of my comedic heroes. Yes. You know, the Daily News called me the Indian Chevy Chase. Uh, uh, not true, but whatever. Uh, he was—he's a, a legend. I mean, he's a legend. But he's also, <clears throat> you know, he was—he was—he was, uh, he was, he was look—he was addicted to something, yeah. and he was taking it out on all of us. Uh, but when we got him on camera, you know, my job as director was to make, deliver the Chevy Chase that everybody loved to the community audience. And regardless of how he treated people when the cameras are off, the job is to make him awesome and funny and, and great. And that's what we did. Yeah. That's the job. What's,
0: uh, what's the trick to uh, coaching a comedy performance out of somebody? Rob Lowe, you said, is a comedian in a leading man's body. Uh, did he
1: just bring that, or did you draw that out of him? Rob Lowe, you don't have to do anything, because the dude gets it completely. Mm. And he's sober. I mean, he says this, too. He's like, because I was telling him about Chevy Chase, and he goes, it's always drugs, isn't it? Mm. And, I, and I said, yeah. And he goes, I guess I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be sober. Because he, he comes, He's Rob knows every single line he has monologues. He has it perfect down. You don't need coverage. You don't need a close up. You can just shoot the take, and it's like he'll deliver two pages of dialogue perfect because he does homework and he's ready and he's focused, you know. And he's he's amazing, and he understands the timing of it, you know. Uh, some other people who don't do the homework and like learn the lines, you know, they come and they can only get half a sentence out. And you have to basically, you just have to like say, okay, we're gonna capture this performance one line at a time, and I'll stand right next to the camera and I'll say, your hair is looking good today. Your hair is looking good today. Your hair is looking good today, action. And some of the actors will be like, that haircut, I like it. And you're like, close. Your hair is looking good today. What? My hair? No, no. You're talking to her her hair looking good today okay okay i got it and then i mean you could go 12 takes and you're like we got one okay now we're going to the next one and that's how that's how it works with some people ah, can we just like some legends that's how it works oh and you're God. like i'm not gonna judge them too much but this is a private space you know it's like this is our set and we're gonna generate the great performance by this legend, you're gonna see it great, and you're gonna be like, wow, he's still got it, okay.
0: (laughs) What what, uh, makes a good director? Uh, I read somewhere that you said, everyone should learn how to edit. Why is that important? And what are the other things? I think that there's a, uh, uh, the guys were talking before, they're like, talk to him about how you bring a cinematic style to comedy. So I'd like to talk about your process as a director. I think the thing about editing is great because you know how to piece things together. and You know uh, what you're missing, what
1: you need, what kind of coverage you need. But also, from an aesthetic point of view, what's how do we get better at that? Well, the ed- look, the editing thing is, is the whole game. Like, if you really think about what a film is, it's just a series of images. And there are wide shots, there are medium shots, there are two shots. There's over my shoulder to you, over your shoulder to me. There's a clean single of me and a clean single. That's every goddamn scene in every movie you've ever seen. It's the same eight, nine shots, right? In, In movies like Goodfellas, there are probably eight or nine super interesting shots that are like out of that wide, medium, you know. Whatever. Like, do you remember the scene in Goodfellas where Joe Pesci shoots Spider, the, the waiter in, in the feet with the with the gun, he makes him dance. I don't remember. I haven't that. seen Goodfellas. Twenty years ago. Okay, fine <clears throat> I have that memory. So it's one those of those guys, you guys remember? He remembers. It's one so of the greatest in my opinion, you could call, if you called it the greatest scene in cinema history, I'd go, okay, I'll buy that. That's possibly true. Yeah. But it's just it's you know what it is? It's a it's a wide shot outside. The uh, bar you see it okay that's where they are wide then it's a wide shot inside the bar with a little camera move and then it's a shot of Pesci and a shot of De Niro and a shot of this and a shot of the guy's feet getting shot and it's like it's all it is and you watch that and you're like okay and then you turn the sound off and watch it again and watch it again and watch again you're like oh there it is wide two shot medium single single watch it again oh god then you watch every other scene you've ever watched and you're like wide medium two shots and it's like okay we all know what shots it's gonna be the magic is in the performance you know in, in comedies you really want to kind of you know there's a there's a thing called a radio cut in movies and it's basically what I do when I cut a film is I you know I'll have an editor do a cut and then I'll take the scene and I'll I'll sort of recut it into a rhythm. You know, it's like this joke is meant to be told at this pace. Here's the setup, and here's the medium move-along jokes, and here's the big payoff. But it has to happen in 72 seconds. That's how long this whole joke has to be, because that's just how I mean. That's how I hear it, right? So you put it into the rhythm of what the whole scene should be, and then you can adjust the images. After. It's called Radio Cut because you close your eyes and you listen, and you're like, yep, that's the rhythm. Now we'll make this wide shot a little longer. You know, we'll make this two shot. Oh, let's, it's too cutty, so let's use a two shot instead of all these singles. You know, so it's like, it's really a matter of like with comics, we're, we're really trying to create a piece of music that is exact. You know, like exactly that length. And, and so the, the editing of it all is is where is where that happens. So when when I'm when I have two actors who are comedians and they're doing a scene, I'm my goal is to always get them to like almost speak over each other and kind of fill in the gaps and kind of you know so that I can use that two shot for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So that at the end of the day, you're like, well, there is. Uh, Kevin Heffernan and Jay Chandrasekhar and they're really joking because we that shot stayed for like a minute and they just, you know, you could see us talking to each other without any cuts. Yeah. So it's it's you're editing as as you're shooting as well. You're like, you're trying to anticipate, you know, how do I make this eight, 12 seconds better? Well, if they spoke faster it'd be better or if, you know, whatever it is, you know. You clearly have an in-depth
0: knowledge of directing but when you did Super Troopers 1, it was kind of yeah. like, I'm figuring this shit out. Yeah. How did you go from that to now, you are directing so many television shows, like, if somebody looks at your IMDb page, like, oh shit, he's done so much work, he's not just the dude from Super Troopers. How have you refined your skills? And how do you book your work so people are coming to you for maybe like,
1: you know, 20 years ago, would never have come to you for that? How does that work? Uh, I have shot over 100 episodes of television. Mm-hmm. And I've shot 20 parties. I've shot, you know, 30 sex scenes. I've shot, you know, 40 fights between a husband and a wife, whatever it is. And I, I what I did is I just tried them on different lenses. And I tried them on, you know, handheld, or I tried to figure out what I liked. How's the best way to shoot a fight? Or how's the best way to shoot, you know, a stunt, a car stunt, or like what's what are the what are the best and if you do it enough, you get to try it different ways. And you're like, I like that. And so then when I make a movie, I'm like, I'm gonna do this fight scene like that. And I'm going to use that guy who choreographed that uh, that TV show thing. I'm going to use him to, you know. And so you kind of like, you're able to really refine your directing skills in television because it happens so fast and there's so much of it. You know, like, it's, and, and you're really also able to, you know, eventually when you shoot that much TV, you can relax because you're like, all we need are, are these eight shots, you know. And, and if we get these eight shots, it's going to be great. You know, so it's it's really a matter of like, as much as you know, it's it's sort of like if you do something enough, you got. It. What's the hustle look like for you now?
0: Do you are people coming to you with projects? Or are you still like I gotta pitch myself and get
1: work? How does that work? You now? know, in 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 show business, it's really a matter of like, you use one job to get the next job, mm-hmm. right? So, this film Super Troopers Two, which comes out on four twenty. Uh that's why I'm here. Of course uh, uh, you know, if the movie does well, then we can walk into any room in town and say, "I want to make this movie next." And most people are going to go, okay, you know because the other one just did well, right? If if, if it doesn't do well, or if it does medium, then it's going to be a little harder to make it happen. And if it bombs, no one's making my next movie. Right, that's just the way it works, right? And so, you have to be ready. I, you know, you have to be ready with things to sell on four twenty three that Monday. Mm-hmm. You know, like if the movie is does really well, you walk in on Monday and go, "I want to do this next," and you've got twenty four hours because I'm going across to Sony and I'm going there, and they're like, Rrr. and then they'll, you know, they're they're forced into a decision bec- by just. Well, the movie's doing well in theaters, I have to get this guy's next thing. That's, that, that's show business. If we're always ready, why wait 17 years to
0: do So Super Troopers 2? Why would the big time span? We didn't
1: want to be, um, and this is no insult to the police academy guys, but they were known for that one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they made nine of them, I think, or eight of them, I don't even know, they made so many, but they're that, yeah. right? And so we made a conscious decision not to do that. We wanted to be what, do what Monty Python did and do a lot of different movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we decided to make a horror movie and then we made Beer Fest. And then, you know, we came back to this film, but we tried to come back to this film earlier, but it was, it made so much money for Fox that there was an argument about how much money was made and that had to be resolved. And part of the resolution was you can make number two. Yeah, And so we did. So how did that work with crowdfunding? If you had Fox behind you to make the film, why was we didn't. a crowd- you didn't. Well, they said you can make the movie. Like, we'll give you the rights to your own project. Well, they own them. I mean, they owned, they own they ma- they bought the first one and okay. they bought the rights forever. Okay. Right. Forever. And you know, the president of Fox told me, he goes, "We will never let you make a Super Troopers outside of Fox." And I'm like, okay, fair. And but you know, for a while they were going to finance it, and they're like. You know the, the the whole business is sort of geared towards superhero movies now. Mm. I mean, they're basically like, is there any way to make these super troopers like in capes and you know tights and, and they didn't really say that, but that's that's what it would have taken to get them to finance it. And they were mm-hmm. they were like, uh, they're like, you guys can get the money, can't you? And I'm like, yeah, we can get the money. So so we decided to take a massively crazy risk and try to crowdfund. It. Yeah. Because if they if the audience didn't crowdfund the movie, Fox would have looked at it and been like, nobody wants to see this movie. Right? And but we gambled, you know, we gambled. And and luckily for us, and I mean this, our fans really came through. They really were like, you know, yeah, we want we want to see this movie. And the guy who ran our campaign, uh, he ran the Veronica Mars campaign uh, and he just knows what he's doing in terms of where our fans are on the internet and he makes high-end art that he, that, that was like the, the rewards and the posters and the t-shirts. they were all like beautifully done by beautiful artists so that people felt respected and they felt like I'm going to get something good out of this donation. And like, I mean, we have 500 people coming to the Los Angeles premiere of Super Troopers, 250 in Chicago, 500 in New York. Like these are, they're gonna go to the premiere because they put up money for it, you know? Some guy bought a car, one of our police cars. Like, we've done so much on this campaign, but the reality is 50,000 plus people said they want to see the movie because they put money into it. And Fox said, whoa, holy cow, you know? And they called up, they're like, wow, that's impressive. And they started to go, oh, should we have finances thing, Or, you know? And then we raised the rest of the money, uh, because everyone's like, well, there's clearly an audience. And then we, you know, then we tested the movie. And it, you know, whatever. What testing is whatever it is, but it we it tested better than any of our other films. And so then Fox is like, we're gonna put all the money in a promote. It. And you're like, okay, guys, we've been waiting. Welcome. <laughs> I get along well with these Fox people. I mean, you know, we're all in show business to try to generate money for the mothership, right? I mean, that's... Because when you do that, they say, good boy, and they let you make more movies. Yeah. And the Fox executives are the same way. They're trying to succeed, right? They're trying to make good art and have it make money. Mm-hmm. And they looked at us, they were like, we're not sure. And then once they saw it, they're like, yeah, we're sure. What was the name of the crowdfunder guy? Uh, Ivan Asquith. Ivan Asquith. He's yeah. the number one guy in the entire space. Yeah. There's him and there's nobody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a niche that people need
0: to get into. Uh, rejection rage. When you get turned down over and over and over again, uh, how do you overcome that? Uh, how do you deal with that? How does that make you a better
1: artist? <clears throat> Look, to some degree, the people who make it in show business are the ones who stick around. Hmm. You know, like if you stick around long enough, those studio executives are like, you're still here? I've known you for a long time. Okay, it's good. I'll give you a chance, right? I mean, it's, you can't, you're going to be rejected all the time. That's, that is show business. I mean, even, even the major stars get rejected from movies they want to do. It's the way it is. I mean, you have to be able to withstand mostly rejection. Mo- most of my life is being rejected. Uh, By people with money who are like, I don't believe in this movie, I'm not gonna finance it. But I mean, the reason I'm going to try to get the money is because I think it's going to work. I think it's gonna make somebody money. And I think it's gonna make the audience laugh. And I believe in the model of the movie. If we make it for this, I think we can turn a profit, you know? And so you have to really just be single minded about it. And really, approach the financing people in the most opportune time. So like these, you know, I I wrote that book. I'm I'm starting to think about another book and if the movie does well enough, I'll try to set up a movie and a TV show and a book because they're gonna be in an awful situation of having to say no to somebody who has a movie that's done well in theaters. Now if it doesn't do well, then I'm gonna not put the book out until Maybe I have a hit somewhere down the line, then I'll try to make the book. You know, you have to be, you have to understand where they're coming from too. They're sitting in a seat like, is this guy going to make me money on this, or am I going to get fired? And you have to put them into a situation where they, you know, they they uh, there was a good reason for them to say yes. Yeah. Mustache Shenanigans, your first book.
0: First book, right? Yeah, only book. Uh, is a good primer on how to make it in Hollywood based on your experiences. I think what you've told us in this interview is a bunch of big next level stuff, you know, how you went from there to where you're at now and you're playing in a bigger game. But if someone's just entering, what advice? And you told us a lot of things about like how you create, how you shoot, how you use your teammates, but is there anything else that you could add to us on how uh, and somebody just getting
1: into this can succeed? I would say that, like, to a, uh, somebody who, I mean, it's, it's if you, un, the, pro, the problem when you're starting out is that you don't know how to do certain things, right? Like, you know, maybe you can shoot a film, but you don't know how to edit the film, right? Learn as many of the jobs as possible so that if somebody gave you money, you could literally make a movie, you know? Like... You should know how to edit. You should know how to light. You should know how to shoot. You should know how to write. You should know how to act. You should, you know, and maybe you're not gonna do all those things, but you should be able to, you know, to, to be as sort of one-stop-shop as possible. Because, you know, you see this all the time. You see, like, actors hit it big, and uh, maybe they're comics, and they make one great movie, they don't really know how to write the second one you know or they, they're hoping they're hoping somebody else writes it for them and you know you, you know everybody is motivated by their own interests like the writer is trying to get money to write a script and they're like, why should I write this script for you when this guy's paying me to write this script And so then they're like, I'll write your script eventually and then you're waiting right instead write your own script. You know, and get it some, get, you know, maybe maybe you have the talent to write the script. Maybe you don't. If you learn you don't, you don't, right? But try, you know, don't wait for show business to come give you the break because show business doesn't need anybody. You know, like if I'm, if I stop making movies tomorrow, show business is going to go on without me, right? It doesn't need me. It doesn't need you. It doesn't need anybody. Like the next hot young thing walking in, we don't need her either. We got another one right behind her. So it's a matter of, like, you got to really think about what, you know, think about what uh, you bring. So, I mean, like, maybe if you're a young comic and, you know, you build a young following, well, you're bringing people, right? Like, you're popular with your age group. Like, you have to sort of think about how to make the mothership money because that's what the mothership cares about cares about money so that it can pay all these people to make more movies, to make more money. It is show business, right? It, it, it is necessarily a business. It costs a lot of money to make these TV shows and movies. And if you make them money, they don't care about what the quality of it is. I mean, yeah, you gotta be great, you should be great. But if, if some, you know, when you see something, you see a movie that makes a lot of money and you're like, oh, that, that's, that's terrible. They don't care, they make another one. Right? Because that's that allows that executive to be like hey, I made all this money on this movie and, and you know the agent's like yeah hey, this movie made money and I, I we commissioned that and like it's it's what it is. It, it, you can be sad about that, or you can just say that's the system that allows me to make super troopers too. That someone's gonna make a profit on it somewhere. Focus on what you are and how you can make some money for somebody. And then you'll continue to make movies.
0: That's awesome. The movie comes out on April 20th. Go see it so he can make money and make more movies. Thank you for joining us, Jay. Thank, you. Thank you. that. truth What I love about that is when he says, learn your shit and be prepared. Ah, almost like if you want to break in this industry, he just kind of explained all of that. So let me know at Zane Megji. What did you learn from Jay in this conversation? What does that inspire you to do? If you want to find out more about Jay, go to dailyhive.com and we'll have all of his information, how you can get in touch with uh, Broken Lizard and find out more about Jay. And of course, Super Troopers opens April 20th. Connect with us, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And I look forward to hearing from you soon. This is K.R. Creative.